Hello and welcome to More Than Politics, a podcast for those of us who want something more than what we've come to expect from politics and from our political discourse. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. On today's episode, I talk with Laura Kelly Panucci about how to talk to children about politics and current events. In our conversation, Laura and I consider our own political upbringings and how they've informed our approaches as parents. We discuss the importance of forming children's consciences regarding political matters as well as personal. We talk about how to make big issues feel small and approachable, how to incorporate prayer into family discussions on politics and current events, and why politics isn't as simple as good guys versus bad guys. And as we near the end of a highly contentious presidential election, Laura and I also discuss how to help children understand a politics that is so marked by bad behavior. But we also talk about what is giving us hope for the future. Laura Kelly Fanucci is a writer and speaker who has spent over a decade working on theology of vocation. She earned her Master of Divinity from St. John's School of Theology and her BA from the University of Notre Dame. Laura is an award-winning columnist for Catholic News Service, and her nationally syndicated Faith at Home column runs monthly in Catholic newspapers across the U.S. Her writing has been featured on NPR's Morning Edition, On Being, and The Christian Century, and in popular outlets including People Magazine and The Kelly Clarkson Show. Laura has authored seven books, including Everyday Sacrament, The Messy Grace of Parenting. She and her husband live in Minnesota with their children. Our conversation was recorded on October 8th. All right. Hello, Laura. Hi, Julie. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Good. So can you start us off in telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and what you're doing these days? Well, like everyone, I'm spending a lot of time with my family these days. (laughs) Uh, I am a writer, uh, an author, and a speaker, and I have five little boys at home with my husband. So our kiddos are here all the time, and my husband and I are both working from home. So our kids range in age from, let's see, seven months to 11 years old. Um, And so right now is a really interesting, wonderful, overwhelming mix of all my work and all my loves right here under the same roof. <laughs> Lots of togetherness, right? So much together this year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know, since today we're talking about how to talk with your children about politics and current events, I was hoping that you could start off by telling a little bit about what your exposure to politics was as a child and how that has informed your approach to engaging with your children on the topic. Yeah, this was such an interesting thing to think about because my family was really politically engaged and involved growing up. So it was one of those, as I started thinking about this, it's kind of just been in the water of my family all along. My dad ran for public office 
twice mm. before I was born. So I grew up hearing these stories mm. about what it was like to be on the campaign trail. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like on the county level, but still just um, really politically active on my dad's side of the family. Um, I remember in fifth or sixth grade, I got to have my grandpa and my uncle come into school and talk to our class about how they got to be delegates from Michigan to the National Republican Convention. They got to go and, you know, that's cool. You know, my grandfather was also a delegate to the Are Republican National Yeah, I think it was in San Diego. Okay. I can't remember I now. If it I was been the same one. Yeah, it might have been. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Yeah. So it was, yeah. So I can remember so many. I mean, every family party really ended up with political debates around the table. So it was always something that was, you know, very engaged, very much, you know, we were involved politically. We debated it. I definitely knew where my family landed um, in terms mm-hmm. of like a partisan identity. So I really took that on as a kid. Um, so in some ways- it Sounds I- like you and I have very similar backgrounds. <laughs> Yes, right? Um, It's interesting then to think about what pieces of that I've taken for raising my own kids because I think, you know, I got the message really early on that to be a citizen was to be politically engaged, that it mattered, that your involvement in the political process mattered, your vote mattered, you know, local politics Mm -hmm. mattered just as much as the national scene. So all of that was really helpful, you know, and really something I hope I've passed on to my kids and trying, you know, to, to talk about politics and our involvement in it as citizens. I think the part that that I've wrestled with more is is the partisan identity, you know, because my own beliefs mm-hmm. don't fall out in the same way that, you know, maybe my family did, you know, what what they kind of gave to me as a child. And I, and of course I've even watched those adults in my life, um, wrestle with their beliefs and, and mm-hmm. some of their party affiliations. So I think as I've grown into, especially what Catholic social teaching has brought me, I don't have the very clear, like, this is who we are as a family. This is how we vote. This is who we rally for, you know? So that piece is, it's, there's a lot more gray area there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, it must have been the 88 election, Um, our little, you know, first or second grade class, whatever it was, we had a little political party or a little political parade and we were all supposed to march downtown and just kind of like get out the vote. And I remember, um, you know, you either got to color an elephant or a donkey. That was what was going to be on your little ruler that you held as those were. (laughs) And I remember having this very like, other people chose the other side. I was just kind of flabbergasted. Like, doesn't everybody know which one you're supposed to choose? I isn't everyone's house plastered in elephants? <laughs> so that was a really strong memory of mine. And it was the first time I realized, wait a minute, like my friends and people in my Catholic school are there. You can pick the other one. That's interesting and strange. So, yeah, some of that has been, I think, different for probably what my kids are experiencing. Um, But, yeah, absolutely. I think I really am grateful that my parents um, passed along to us kids the idea that politics was important and, um, and being involved as a citizen was just, yeah, it was absolutely necessary. Like there was no question about whether or not it mattered. Yeah, no, that is a great lesson. 
But yeah, I'm similar to you in that I grew up in a really partisan environment and I'm not raising my kids in a particularly partisan environment. I mean, they hear some of our views. It's not like it's not like they don't have any sense. Um, But I mean, I remember, you know, like wearing the political T-shirts and everything as a kid and holding up the signs and all of that. And I still think, you know, it's totally like understandable for you to be like campaigning for a family member. But I'm not sure I would want my young kids to like literally wear the placard for just like a political party. Like I feel a lot more protective over whatever opinions and thought processes my kids might go through in their adulthood. You know, like I, I, I have come much more to a place where I just want to like help form my kids and help them sort of understand the environment they're coming into and hopefully impart, you know, good moral values, but then let them make their own decisions because I don't know what these parties are going to look like when they're an adult. And I don't want them to feel like, oh, well, this is part of my identity to be part of this political party, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think that's, I think that's so wise. And I think as you're talking about it, it just sort of doubles down my resolve for how important that is to keep the idea of like forming their conscience, helping them to understand what that means to have a well-formed conscience, but not to say, you know, our family equals X, you know, or the only way is why. (laughs) Yeah, because in some ways, uh, we don't even know the world that they will grow up in or, you know, what it will be to be a voting adult by the time they get there, right? So a lot of things could change. Yeah, I mean, the Republican Party looks very different today than when you and I were kids. Yeah. And it's going to look different in another 20 years. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast. Like the yes. parties shift ideologically. They always have. They always will. We don't know what it's going to be like when our kids are casting votes. So. No. And I think even they have this we have this cool set of blocks that has all the uh, the presidents on it. And the kids will sometimes, as they're putting them all in order, will say to me, well, what's the Democratic Republican part? This block must be wrong. Like it has both of them on there. And so it's really interesting to say it hasn't always been this way. These parties have evolved and changed. And so it is, it's so true that I think our, our primary concern as parents, our deepest calling, you know, is their moral formation and, and how we can guide them to be, you know, people of good faith and good values, but how that will be applied and what that will call forth from them politically in their own adulthood, I think that's so much, it feels so much more, you know, it's impossible to foresee now. And I'm not sure that my grandparents felt like that. You know, I think they probably Mm -hmm. thought, here's how things are, you know, and yes, there's been a lot of shifting in those partisan identities over time. But, you know, this is probably where we'll be forever, right? And yet I I just think so much of that has really changed, even within our generation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, one observation I've been hearing recently on um, some political podcasts is older generations tend to remember better a time where you might switch your political affiliation. You know, like it was much more common in the middle of the 20th century for people to switch who they voted for for president based on the current you know year who's who's up for office yeah. and these days 
people are much more like set on their sides. It's much, you see far fewer undecided voters. You don't see a lot of people who switch from one party to the other. So that's a different environment too, that, um, that there used to be a little bit more flexibility and now people are just much more like set in their ways. So Yes. No, that rigidity. And I think there's Mm -hmm. overall, I think, even among people of faith, like there's more of that, that partisan ideology has gotten so strong that people are more likely to vote out of whatever their kind of political affiliation is than what their faith tradition might inform them on. You know, like we've Mm -hmm. really chosen our camps and have gotten entrenched in ways that, wow, you know, that it, it makes the, the murkier work of, moral formation and thinking about like the conscience that that's just that's harder work in the middle i think on so many issues not to say that it's all just relative or i don't I, it's not that it's just that it sometimes seems much easier to just say oh it's black and white it's right or wrong but yeah. to really wrestle with all the ethical implications of an issue you've got to do a lot of work sorting through the particulars in the middle there yeah, I think the rigidity gives you far less freedom to like really make sure you are assessing everything properly. It, it, I don't know. It, 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 it doesn't give you much space to sort of like stretch a little bit and make sure that you are um, really pursuing a politics that's like in line with your conscience. Yeah. Well, it's so easy to default and just say, well, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Yeah. Like, so yeah. that's, yeah. I'll just go party line when, mm-hmm. I mean, as Catholics, our church's teaching does not line up perfectly with either of those two dominant political parties. Like it just plain right. doesn't right. on every issue. So to default, I think, doesn't take into account that our deeper calling is really you know it's going to it's going to necessitate some difficult decisions because it doesn't yeah. fall out so easily as we might like you know right right yeah right now how interested are your children in the goings on of the world like are they very aware of politics um do you purposefully try to introduce these topics or do they just come up naturally I would say maybe a little of both. I think that mm-hmm. we always have tried with our kids um, to convey, you know, I, I don't think that parenting is about keeping them in a bubble as much as I would love to protect them um, and guard them from all evil mm-hmm. and harm. Mm-hmm. I do think that parenting is about helping them understand how to be in the world, how to, f- you know, face the troubles that will inevitably come their way. And so, in some ways, to have conversations about hard subjects has been something that we've never shied away from in our family. So we do mm-hmm. try to engage them in that. I mean, one thing that's that's really important for us um, <laughs> that that has had the the unintended consequence of involving our kids in political discussions is that we really love to support local journalism. So we still get a mm-hmm. newspaper. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just there on the you know kitchen table every morning. And mm-hmm. for a while, I mean, I worked in journalism in college. And so I just think it's a really important thing in a democracy to have a free press and, mm-hmm. and to support that on the local level. So we really like think that's an investment to make in our local community to get the, the paper. And so, you know, very naturally, once our kids started to read, those headlines were there. And so they would have questions sometimes. And granted, there <laughs> there still are things that I will snatch and put right into the recycling bin and think. <laughs> but honestly, it's more the local news. That's kind of where anything mm-hmm. sorted seems to come mm-hmm. up. A lo- you know, on the front page, it tends to be more what's going on nationally or mm-hmm. internet. <laughs> Not to say that doesn't sometimes get sorted. But um, I think what that has done that I never expected is that it has brought those big questions and those political, you know, rises and falls and, and events and questions into our home. Um, and so I appreciate the questions that kids will have around what that headline is about or about what the president did or what's the election, you know, looking like. They are really curious. You know, they want to know. I think kids have a natural curiosity about the world around them, about what adults are talking about. Of course, they're mm-hmm. interested in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our kids, we aren't a big TV family, so our kids don't watch the news or, or TV really at all. But they do, you know, they do hear some of it on the radio. If we have just even the classical station will give you the news at the top of the hour. Yeah, sure. So between that and the newspaper, I think we do have a lot of conversations. And so some things I will try to bring up just because I know they may have questions about it or they might have overheard a conversation that, you know, my husband and I have had or that we had with other adults. And I just, you know, you can kind of sometimes tell when your kids are listening and might um, wonder. So I want to make sure they kind of know if they have questions about something that they can come to me. Um, Yeah, but it's sort of been an ongoing conversation by virtue of the fact that, you know, those headlines do show up literally on our breakfast table in the morning. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I listen to, or I used to listen to a lot of radio, like news radio. And um, so in the car, that's where I would get a lot of questions because I'd have NPR on and they would ask about about a story that they'd heard. But we're not driving as much these days. <laughs> yes. So, you know, my kids are usually running around and busy. So they're not just like sitting near me listening to the radio. So I'm getting a lot fewer of those questions. Um, but my kids are like little history buffs. And they're oh. super interested in the Civil War. Like we don't yeah. live too far from Gettysburg and Antietam and such. So um, they've, you know, been on field trips and they're like really into Civil War and World War II documentaries right now. <laughs> I love it. My husband's a history buff too. So a lot of times conversations about that will become more broad, you know, because you have to, you can't get into the intri- intricacy of something that happened in one of these wars without talking about the concept of war in general and yeah. conflict and, um, you know, division within a country. and um you know, division between different countries. And, you know, so a lot of our conversations are much more broad. They're not like so specific to the politics of this moment, but we still talk about like the concepts that they're going to be encountering as they get older and start really consuming the news themselves. Yeah. Well, that's interesting what you say too about the local context, because 
even this summer, you know, we live outside of Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. spring and summer just erupted, right? And and they, the kids, you know, especially our older two who are 9 and 11 mm-hmm. were, you know, so interested, so intrigued, so concerned, like what was happening? I mean, at one point, you know, during the protest, they were even closing all the grocery stores and things out near us. Like we're in the suburbs, but, mm-hmm. you know, the ripple effect was, hey guys, we we actually can't drive downtown this weekend because 94 is closed. Like it's shut down. Yeah. We can't use yeah, the interface. Yeah. And so they were, you know, seeing all the signs about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And so we we had a lot of conversations that were really good that were based on, you know, I think just our proximity to those mm-hmm. events um, and people, you know, that we knew who were really getting involved in a lot of the protests and movements that were coming out from that. So, yeah, it was really this year has been fascinating, both for, you know, all that's been happening around racial justice. And I mean, of course, the coronavirus, like the kids want to yeah, know, sure. I mean, the news has a very <laughs> personal effect on them now. Like, yeah, do we get to go to school? How many days do we get to go to school? What is that like? So yeah, they're really curious. And so I think it is walking a fine line between um, helping them to be engaged citizens, helping them to learn about the world in age appropriate ways, but not having them feel, you know, anxious or fearful or overwhelmed. It's hard because I think this year, I mean, anyone who's paying attention to the political process, I think we naturally get overwhelmed at points. It's been really volatile and intense. But um, yeah, yeah, so walking that line with our kids can be tricky. But I just think um, I'm just so struck by kids. You know, they they have wisdom and they have great perspective and curiosity. And so their engagement with it has been actually really wonderful to see and to nurture too. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, because you have to simplify so much when you're talking to kids about these issues, it sort of helps you also get a new perspective on everything. Like it, it forces you to take a step back and yes. think about like the really basic elements of the stories. Yeah. But yeah, my husband is actually also from Minnesota. And so... um when everything was happening in Minneapolis, um, you know, we were also having to tell, um, having to keep that story in the context of where their like aunts and uncles live. And, um, you know, Minnesota sort of looms large in their minds because that's where daddy's from, you know? So they had that personal connection too. But, you know, normally I wait for subjects to come from them. Like I wait for questions, but when George Floyd was killed, that was one of those times where I thought, no, this is too big and important. I need to bring this up. So um, I actually sat down my oldest two and I explained to them what happened. And, um, and then I went on Instagram and showed them pictures of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Like I, obviously I wasn't going to show them the video, but I, um, but I just wanted them to get a sense of what he looked like. And um, that was also like in the days following his death, you were starting to see a lot of that like artwork pop up. Yeah. And so we we looked at like some news photos of him and then we looked at some of this artwork based on his image. And um, I don't know, it was just really, it was kind of a powerful moment to try to process the news, let them ask their questions, try to answer it as honestly as I could. Um, but just really try to impress upon them that, like, you know, 
this this is a human being at the center of the story, you yeah. know? Yes. And I didn't want that to be like a quick question based on something they heard in the news. Like I wanted that to be a standalone conversation. Yes, I agree. And I did something similar because I could tell they were hearing the story, you know, about the murder and, and the police officers and all this. And I wanted them I wanted them to have some context about why this wasn't just an isolated incident. You know, I wanted them to understand mm-hmm. like why right. suddenly the yeah. whole world is looking at our hometown. And so I mean that that is hard, right? I mean, right. my kids are white and so they have been protected from what the reality of racism means in, you know, it it just doesn't mean the same thing for them as it does for mm-hmm. the friends who are not white. Mm-hmm. So, right. You know, to really say guys, we have to talk about this and we also have to talk about kind of the bigger context. Um that felt important too because it wasn't just here's what's in the headlines or here's what's happening now. It's like this is one thing that happened in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, it is challenging, but I think on on the flip side, children see so clearly, I mean, the death of any human being to them is something to grieve and that Mm -hmm. I so appreciate. Mm -hmm. There's no like, well, what was the context? Well, what was that person doing? I mean, it's just, oh, someone was killed. Like you just see the innocence of realizing how wrong that is. And you know that in every context, actually our faith is teaching us to mourn death, right? To mourn Mm -hmm. whenever life is taken. I mean, that's a commandment literally that was given to us, you know, to respect life and not to kill. And so um, I appreciate sometimes when, you know, the complexity of these situations gets so muddled sometimes and and our the way that things get interpreted or politicized among adults gets messy, you know, and yet I like children have they can just sort of zoom right in and say, "Well, black people should never be treated differently. Why would that be?" And so, mm-hmm. yes, you are right. Like no one should be treated differently because of the color of their skin. And so let's talk about, you know, that this is a bigger issue in America, it has been something that that we've been challenged to live out. And there's been a lot of problems of, you know, racial injustice in our country over its history. So it's not just about now. I mean, at the same time, I think our kids have had a really interesting perspective in the pandemic of like, we're living through history. This is history in the making. And so that I think has helped light the fire and say, this is really important. You know, you are living through history. You're going to tell your children and grandchildren, if you have them, about this time. They'll be so curious to know what it was like to live now and to be involved as a citizen, to know what's going on. Like, that's all part of it. You know, it all does come back to what role you are called to play in this country and in this world. And so, that gives me hope to see their their kind of bigger perspective too. So they zero in on what matters and they also like to zoom out and kind of see this time in history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think too, I, f- I feel like I'm probably having a different conversation on race than my parents would have had with me. You know, like when I was growing up, there was very much a sense of this problem is in the past. Like, <sighs> We, we have overcome it. We are, we're moving forward. And I think now there's a real recognition that it's, 
not gone anywhere. And, um, and so, you know, in that conversation with my boys, I was, you know, telling them like, this is going to keep coming up. Like, this is an issue that you are going to hear about as you get older. This is the kind of thing that you are going to witness in your life. And you need to, you know, start thinking about how you're going to respond to it, you know? Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I think that's a, an important thing too about talking to your kids about politics and current events is to like sort of um like arm them for the future almost yeah. like to like prepare them to um to make sure they understand that that the responsibility is going to fall on them at some point and they are going to have to know how to like wade through these really difficult issues. Yes, absolutely. And how they are going to respond when they are witnessing um, racism or, you know, know, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, a realization that a lot of us have grappled with is that, (laughs) you know, our black friends were having really different conversations. Like they were having these conversations with their parents and their kids and and the reality of (laughs) – Call it two different Americas, call it 20 different Americas. I mean, there's so that dominant narrative we got about what history was and, you know, Martin Luther King and that was civil rights and now it's over. Like, it's just, we did not get the whole story in school by any means. That was, you know, there is not like one monolithic, this was history, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's its always filtered through human experience. It's warped by sin. You know, it's got the the perspective of the people who are writing the story. And, mm-hmm. and I think um, to also say to, I, I actually have found that it's been important for me to say to, to my kids, I'm learning about this now too. This isn't something mm-hmm. that I knew yes. when I was growing up. And, and I think that models for them, both the humility that I I think adults should take, which is I don't have all the answers. I'm always learning. I'm curious. I I want to grow. I want to try to do better. Um, but also to say like, you know, this world is changing and and we're all called to play a part in it. So it's not so much that the ground is all shaking beneath our feet. We might feel that sometimes, but in fact, it's the continual work for justice that we're all called to. It's it's that's the work of a society is, you know, peace and security and justice for all its members. And we have so far to get there, you know, from where we are now that um, I, I want to model for them, too, that this is like a lifelong journey. You know, I'm still on it. They will be on it their whole lives. But it's so important. You know, we can't despair about it. Like we have to be engaged with it however we can, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think also related to what you said, I think it's really important to not give our kids as much as we might like to. It's important to not give our kids the impression that we have all the answers and we know all of this because um, we don't. Like there are are things that we don't understand very well and there are going to be questions that they ask that we don't have answers to. And I think it's good for them to see us looking for those answers to say, I don't know how to answer your question right now. I'm going to read up on this a little bit, yeah. um, you know, because that prepares them to deal with a world that they are going to have to look into and wrestle with and figure out and to be okay with 
not feeling like they know everything, you know? Right. And that you can't just Google the answers to these questions. I mean, you can Google anything, but it's not going to tell you all the time if something is morally right or wrong or Mm -hmm. what's ethical or how you as a person of faith, you know, should vote on this issue or be involved on this issue. Like you have to learn about how to grow in wisdom in ways that are, you know, not as easy as just Googling or, you know, looking for the quick answer. Like, yeah. So I think what you're saying about um, modeling that for them, that's really important. I think, you know, it's this time of living with the coronavirus in, in some ways we're all having to live with great uncertainty, right? We don't know when this pandemic mm-hmm. will end. Mm-hmm. We don't know like what the long-term effects will be on individuals who get sick, on the economy, on the political process. We just there's so much that's unknown that some days I feel like I'm constantly saying, I don't know when the kids are asking me <laughs> questions about things. But I think that they're learning that it's okay to not know. We're still moving Mm -hmm. forward, right? We're still Mm -hmm. living and growing and laughing and going to school and doing our work, even though some big unknowns are defining our lives right now. And so, you know, that's just, um, that's part of growing into maturity, I think, is, is learning to live with, you know, some of the ambiguity that is there and some of the, um, yeah, knowing that sometimes the most important questions don't have easy answers. You know? Right, right. Um, one question my kids ask a lot, and this is one that doesn't have an easy answer, is they are always wanting to know who the bad guys are. Like, I think it's probably from their experience with like movies and stories, you know, yeah. there's a good guy and a bad guy. And so with a lot of the topics that come up, they want to know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And I personally always try to like talk them down from that question, you know, yeah. I'm like, so let's, let's back up a little bit. It's complicated. You know, I'm like, yes. people are complicated. People do bad things. People do good things. It's, you're, it's going to be incredibly rare to find a person who is all bad or all good. You know, we are all combinations of these two. And, um, you know, especially like for my son, who's really into World War II right now, like um, were there some like super grave, serious moral issues in that conflict? Absolutely. But you also had like literally millions of people who just went to go fight for their country. And it's hard to like label a whole side bad when you've got, you know, like a, a an 18-year-old kid who has been drafted and goes to fight for their country, you know? So it's like I'm always trying to talk them down from it because it's complicated. I'm also always trying to talk them down from it because I think with like when we focus on the bad guy, it like allows them to other the bad guy yes. and to like not take any any like responsibility for potentially becoming the bad guy one day, you know, it's like, if I can say, Oh, he's the bad guy. I don't have to worry about him. Like, because I'm not bad. So, you know, and I think it's important to say like, sometimes like otherwise good people get 
pulled into some bad things. And you need to know that because you are a good person who could potentially be pulled into something bad, you know? Yes. Oh, I I could not agree with you more. I think I always, and this is probably just like the theologian in me, but I always back the kids way up to like the (laughs) dignity of the human person. And like every human person was created by God and is beloved by God, full stop. Then, of course, sin enters, right? Free will. We have (laughs) the choice to, we, humans turn to evil. They do atrocious things, right? But like, I still like will fall on the sword that humans are created good and, and that God is just madly in love with every politician. I cannot stand. I have got to hold that forever before Mm -hmm. my eyes or it's Mm -hmm. too easy to otherize people, right? To just demonize the people I disagree with. So yeah, yeah, I will always back my kids up to, you know what? The person you're talking about, I yes, we completely disagree with their actions. What they have done is wrong. Their behavior is wrong. Their actions are wrong. Like the person themselves, can we call them bad if, you know, God is the only one who can judge us truly, our soul, and if God created us good and we are still always beloved by God, I just think it just gets dangerous to start calling people evil, you know, and, mm-hmm. and kids do want to... They're trying to sort out the world. I get that. You know, they're really trying to figure out what is right and wrong, what's just and unjust. Um, I read something fascinating the other day. I've been doing all this Montessori reading for this <laughs> homeschooling that we've kind of had thrust upon us. And mm-hmm. um, and and Maria Montessori talks about how in a certain level of development, the reason that kids will tattle on each other is not kind of to be annoying or like get adults on their side. It's actually because they're at a stage of moral development where they are starting to sort out what justice is mm-hmm. and they have seen an injustice and they mm-hmm. must report it. They must tell an authority <laughs> about an injustice. Mm-hmm. And, and she was saying in this, in this book of hers that, you know, adults get so annoyed by tattling. They're like, just knock it off. But you have to understand that the child is seeking to know what is just in the world. Mm-hmm. And they kind of go through it for a phase and then it stops. They don't tattle forever, right? And I thought, that's really interesting. We are still, we are constantly trying to sort out like, what does justice mean in any given situation? You know, where where do I, where do my beliefs and, and actions and behavior fall on that continuum from just to unjust, like where am I called to grow in justice or mercy? And so I think, you know, I I try to help the kids see too, like that it isn't just about, you know, this, this action is always morally wrong, right? I mean, it's like philosophy 101, you know, is stealing always wrong? Oh, sure. Well, if you're stealing to feed, you know, bread to feed Mm -hmm. your family because you're starving. Oh, well, now, okay, well, you know, doesn't God want people not to starve? You know, I mean, so they're really important questions. Um, and I think like walking alongside our kids as they are trying to figure out what justice means and what God is calling them to, it's all really good conversation. Um, but yeah, I hear you. It never seems to fall out as easily as like <laughs> the 90 minute Disney movie <laughs> would have us <Right>. believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the mentions of the coronavirus and now talking about God, it makes me think of, of course, of a prayer, of praying with your kids through these 
news items, you know, like, so I'm a news junkie. I'm always listening to the news. And in some periods of my parenthood, I am better than at other periods of like praying daily with my kids. And at the beginning of the year, my kids and I were in the habit of praying together at breakfast every morning. And I don't just mean grace. I mean, like we would pray for somebody different each day or whatever. And um, because I was listening to the news and they were overhearing the news a little bit, they, we were hearing about the coronavirus in January. And so we very regularly through January and February, were praying for the people of China and all those affected by the coronavirus. And so at the beginning of those conversations, the question was, well, is it here? No, 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 it's not here. It's far away. Could it come here? Well, I don't know. We'll see. They're going to try to make sure it doesn't, you know? And then, of course, as it was becoming more obvious that it was spreading, I was starting to prepare my kids. Like, yeah, it does look like it's coming here. You know, we need to be prepared for it. We'll see what happens. So at any rate, this is all to say that through that little habit of praying at breakfast with the kids and like incorporating news events into our prayers, my kids were prepared. In, I'm not saying they were totally prepared, but they're prepared that in a way that a lot of kids were not for what happened in March when all of a sudden they came home from school on a Friday and couldn't go back on Monday, you know? So it was, they were, had already had two months worth of familiarity with the subject. And that's so it beautiful. Was, I mean, it that's was a big amazing, deal, isn't but it? it wasn't yeah. a shock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how you pray with your kids on the, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking about in graduate school when I have a master's in theology and, and I remember one of our professors talking about you know, the need to do theology with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I think there was some astute and wise theologian who probably famously said that, but I I loved that. I thought it was really challenging to think about doing theology with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And so we, we do something kind of similar in that we always ask the kids, you know, when we do evening prayer, like bedtime prayer with them, for years we've offered petitions, you know, what would you know, does anybody have anything they want to pray for tonight? Something you want to thank God for, ask God to, you know, someone you want to pray for, that kind of thing. And they will regularly bring up things in the news, um, whether it's, you know, the hurricane, the latest hurricane, you know, whether it's, you know, victims of some natural disaster or, yeah, we've been praying for a lot of people with the coronavirus this year, you know, praying Mm -hmm. for the doctors and the nurses and the scientists. Um, so in some ways I've loved that, that ritual of, I mean, and it's really casual, you know, we just, it's, it's Mm -hmm. in the dark and we're all snuggled in bed, but I think there's something I always find, um, at that time of day when it is the dark bedroom and, you know, people kind of let down their guard that some of the kids' big questions will rise up, whether it's things they're scared about or worried about. And so, it's not only a time um, to bring all of that to God, but it it also will signal to me, oh, you know, they are they are kind of worried about, mm-hmm. you know, the little ones will get worried. Is the hurricane going to hit here? Uh, no, we're yeah, in the Midwest, like pretty protected. They are, but right. But, yeah. you know, their worries about um, when they hear about a, a conflict somewhere, a war or, you know, a shooting or whatever the latest thing is going on and the election or the politics, like they'll, they'll want to bring that to prayer. And so I think that's, 
it's a great practice to remind them that God cares about all of that and that God cares about their prayer for it, you know, mm-hmm. and that as a person of faith, like you get to bring all of that to your prayer and you get to bring all of that to God. There's no part of life that that God is unconcerned about, you know, so it's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, that's just politics to the side. It's like, no, we really want to pray for whoever the president will be, like the next mm-hmm. term, whoever is in the White House, like we pray that they will be guided by God and they will make good decisions and they will be a good leader. So we can always bring that to prayer. Um, so yeah, I think you know, like modeling for our kids that those bedtime prayers aren't just, you know, like God bless everybody in this house and God bless our grandparents. And now oh, we get to bring all of that stuff outside into our prayer and into our concerns for others and how, you know, God is calling us to love them too. Right. Yeah. Including like our fears and our our anxiety about what's going on in the world. Yeah. 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 Um, to back up a minute, just in general, how do you simplify topics enough to make them understandable to children, but not so much that you, you know, get into a situation like I was talking about with the bad guys, you know, how do you, how do you walk that balance? I always think about the wise mentor parents that I've had in my life. I mean, kind of like peers or people, you know, a little older who've sort of mentored me and how they parent. I think about how they have kind of done the sex talk with their kids, which is just you answer the questions that they're asking. You don't try to explain everything all at once. Like you literally just answer their questions, matter of factly, as best you can, age appropriate and all of that. But when you just answer their questions and keep that line of communication going, they'll keep asking you questions as they grow and the conversation keeps happening. It's not a one-time thing. It's not, let me tell you about all of like human reproduction and sexuality and theology of the body and like all of it at once. It's like, oh, you want to know why like your body looks different from my body? Let's talk about that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to think about it with their questions about politics, about current events, about anything in the news. I try to just answer their question and I try to not put tons of words around it. I think that Mm -hmm. like adults, when we get nervous or anxious about a child's question, we often start babbling way more than we need to. So I find that sometimes if it's one of those thorny questions, I just kind of pause. I sort of figure that lets the Holy Spirit show up. And I'll do the the technique you can learn from NPR guests, which is, that's a great question. Because that, again, (laughs) gives you enough time to gather your thoughts to say, okay, you know, that's a great question. Let's think about that. And usually that's just about enough time to start thinking, okay, what, how do I hone in on this for an 11-year-old or a six-year-old or wherever we're at. Um, Yeah, so I try to, you know, to not talk too much. I also try to ask them questions. I always think this is the Jesus tactic, right? Like Jesus always answered people's questions with a question. So sometimes I will ask them, oh, what, like, what made you think of that? Or where did you hear about that? Or did you, you know, why are you curious about that? Because often then you'll get a little bit more of, 
oh, well, yes. someone at school yes. said this about the president or I heard grandma talking about this to grandpa and I wasn't sure what that meant. And then I can realize, oh, that's the question you're asking. Like, I'm over here going to talk to you about like, you know, geopolitical conflict. And you really just want to know about like this one news story. We can talk right, about that right, and right, what country right. that happened in. So yeah, some of those are like my guiding principles for those times where you just think, oh boy, oh boy, I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> um, to give yourself some time and then really just to think about, let's just answer this question and then see what the next question that arises is. And we'll keep talking about it. Yeah. yeah, I probably need to take your advice because I'm like probably I'm I'm not as good of a listener when it comes to these situations. I'm a little bit more of a talker. But um but I think that also comes from like in my own life like I just have always wanted context. Like give me more yeah. context. Give me more context, please. I want to understand the situation. And so like when it comes to my kids' questions, um I, you're absolutely right about like you need to understand exactly what they're asking because it's not always clear what they're asking. Um, yeah. But I tend to try to like back up and like tell the whole story. Like if my kids <laughs> ask about like communism, we're like, okay, let's talk about economics. <laughs> like, we'll talk about yeah. like, you know, you know, you know, different ways of like on a small scale, different way, how different people might manage their money differently and how like, economic systems would work differently and at any rate. So yeah, I'm big on, on context. Um, and yeah, I'm sure at some point, at some time my kids eyes are like glazed over and they don't want to hear it. But I also think it's important because like you're trying to like educate your kids about the world and like, it's important to have a sense of like, well, there are different forms of government. We are in a democracy. We get to vote. Not everyone gets to do that, you know? And like, yeah. um, as far as like economic systems or social systems or political systems, like I think it's important for kids to have a sense of where they are in the world, you know, and, um, and in particular, like their community and their culture. So like, you know, when we are talking about racism and we here are, we live in a house that was built in the 1860s. So like it was built like right before the civil war and yeah. we are in an area where we've got these civil war battlefields. So when we're talking about racism, we're connecting it to that history and saying like, when this house was built, there were still people living in slavery, you know? And yeah. so just to try to provide some context and some understanding for them about where they are in this big picture, you know? Yes. Yes. No, I think that's all so important too. I mean, I think since my default mode is theology, I always feel comfortable defaulting there, right? I mean, to say, these are really good questions you're asking and we we should we should dig into this some more. And we should also mm -hmm. remember like, what's God calling us to in this? I just, I mm -hmm. always want them to know that God is like deeply and intimately involved in the world right now, just as at the, like, it's not just, mm -hmm. you know, God was around for those 30 some years uh, walking the earth. And now we have this distant, like, no, God is incarnate means all of God's re relationship with humanity changed. So we are called to act and to be in this world differently because 
you know, we have been formed by our faith. And so I do default to that mode too. So I think it's fine for us to recognize like, what is our default mode that we, where do we mm-hmm. feel comfortable answering these questions sure, with yeah. our kids? You know? Yeah. I think when I look back on my own childhood, like I think that's where some of the <laughs> partisan identity being the default mode, like that was harder because then I got the impression that, you know, people were right and wrong and people were maybe idiots if they were wrong. And so there was, Mm -hmm. you know, the debates could get really heated around the table. And so I want there to be more of a, like an ongoing inquiry in our family to say, we are not always going to agree on politi- on particular political issues but are we but i i hope that we're going to be formed by the same faith and the same you know belief that our god is calling us to act in the world and so you know that's going to have that's going to lead you all in different ways in your life but like i want to keep coming back around this table and having these questions with you no matter where that goes like i want to i want to hash this out with you all lifelong you know yeah. <laughs> that's my hope for them yeah. yeah yeah that's interesting i i like i like how you said that you know like you have to figure out where you are and what your strengths are in talking to your kids yeah. on these issues like you with your theology background are going to have different strengths than I will with my more political background, you know? So that's that's interesting. There's, there is one thing that I think really any parent can and should do, and that is to try to make big events feel small. Like relate the big events that we're taking in to like little things that your kids have experienced, like conflicts with yes. siblings and like experiences in nature, friendships with like diverse sets of classmates and neighbors attachments to places and things. I think that's a big one where when you're talking about, say, a conflict over a piece of land, you can tell your kid, well, do you know how, you know, you know how much you love this particular toy? You know, I mean, you can, you can take big topics and make them feel smaller and more approachable to your kids. Absolutely. I love that. I think it also makes it it not only brings it down to their scale, but it makes it relatable. Like this is not just mm-hmm. something that happens to other people. You know, like every time immigration gets brought up, I'll say to my kids, you know how like your grandpa is an immigrant. Like he came to this country when he was eight. So he's an immigrant. So when we're talking about immigrants, it's not just other people who live in other parts of the country. Like there's so many immigrants here in Minnesota and in your own family. Like there's lots of people who were born in different places and came to America. And so I think it helps them to see those aren't just like other people, other issues, you know, maybe it's that idea that all politics is local too, right? Mm -hmm. All of those, you know, big questions and conflicts, they matter because we know they matter on the very small scale too, like for adults as well. Right. Politics is personal. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I also think it's important to make use of familiar stories, you know, like from fairy tales to like movies and and books that your kids love. Um, Difficult themes in the news can often be found in stories your kids already understand. Like my kids love the um, the Narnia books, you know, so 
in particular, they love like the big battles in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. (laughs) And so like that kind of thing comes up in conversation when we're talking about the news, talking about conflicts, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even like I think there's so many examples in kids, kind of kids' worlds, whether it's the stories, the movies, the sports teams they love, like to talk about who are the good leaders, who Mm -hmm. are the heroes, you know, and kids go through these stages where heroes are so important to them. And I think that's a really great place to say, "Eh, maybe it's not just like the quarterback on your favorite team or, you know, this person from the movie, but also like, who are, you know, the heroes in our history? Who are the heroes among us right now? You know, that we need, all of us, I think, need those great figures to look to that can call us to be, you know, better than we are or call us beyond ourselves, you know, to work together for the good of all. So I, yeah, I think there's ways that like we can draw from kids' worlds to help them make sense of that. I love those examples you give. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one, one issue that is very particular to this moment is just how nasty our politics has become. And like I saw several things online in the wake of the presidential debate last week where people were talking about having their young kids, maybe not young, but like middle school age kids watch the presidential debate and how like embarrassed the parents felt about what their kids were seeing and how conflicted they were and how they didn't know how to explain it to their kids. So like, how do you help your children understand a politics that's so often filled with personal attacks and other bad behavior? It's like a hard thing that we're dealing with right now. It's really hard. It's hard to not be able to say, here are the leaders, here are the emblematic moral, yeah. you know, <laughs> that it's really a challenge right now. Um, I, I mean, I think one thing that I will say to the kids is that adults don't have it figured out perfectly. Adults don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Adults make mistakes and adults can treat each other terribly. This You're seeing an example of how why it's so important to respect other people, to use appropriate language, you know, to mm-hmm. treat other people the way that we're always talking about. Um, I mean, I do think it's one of those times that I say, like, guys, we all sin. It's not something that you should feel bad about, you know, that it's only you who struggles with these things or messes up. It's not just about, oh, you're a kid and when you're grown up, you'll have this all figured out. You'll be better. No, Mm -hmm. like we all make really bad mistakes. And here you have an example of adults who are treating each other really, really poorly. I mean, I think one thing that springs to mind just from the debates, because I saw that friends that I know who are on very different sides of the political aisles were equally disgusted with how people (laughs) had been acting in that debate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's okay to say, you know, most of the people who watched that debate felt the same. And a lot of the people who, the journalists who wrote about it the next day or talked about it, everybody in the country could see that wasn't great behavior. So to kind Mm -hmm. of say like, there, there was a sense that most people knew that was not right. That can confirm to kids, you know, that, um, but I mean, especially, yeah, when it comes to the language and the insults, 
I just have to say to the kids, this is why it's important that you learn to treat someone right. You know, would you want someone to to treat you that way, to talk about you, to not listen to you and just talk over you? No, of course you wouldn't. So how could how could we do that differently? I think in some ways it can empower our kids to say, you know that's wrong. You can be better than that, right? right. Like and how can how can we be part of the solution? Right. And I will say, you know, when when the kids will be quick to say something that is kind of otherizing, maybe it's a politician that they don't like, even if the kids have strong opinions sometimes, I will be quick to say to them, you might not like that person or what they stand for or their actions, but you need to respect the person. We are always going to respect the dignity of people. Like we can't cut that down because again, like that person is a human being with dignity created by God. We have to hold that up, guys. Like if if that goes, we got nothing. That's everything. You know, that's what God's calling us to. So yeah, yeah it just comes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um can you recall any especially like interesting or moving conversations with or questions from your kids on politics or current events? Yeah, just just last week our oldest um was talking about all the political signs that he was seeing on the drive home from school. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, there's a lot for the person that I don't want to win. <laughs> I mm. said, yeah, you see, you know, you'll see that because people, you know, feel strongly and they'll put that in their yard. I said, you know, it's really important that sometimes you'll see people will steal those or deface those. You don't want to do that. People do have the right to say that you know, who they want to support. That's their property. They get to put that out. And he said, yeah, but man, it still makes me frustrated to think there are so many people right around us that that feel so opposite from me. I said, yeah, I, I feel that too. You're right. It's We're really divided as a country right now. And he said, I think, I think we should come up with a prayer for when we're driving or walking by a political sign for the opposite party that we would pick. I think we should have a prayer for that. And he literally like (laughs) went to the junk drawer in the kitchen, pulled out a post-it, scribbled this in illegible 11-year-old boy handwriting. This great prayer that was like, we still have it up on the fridge. I refuse to take it down because every day when I go to the (laughs) fridge, I look at this and I think, I'm telling you, like the wisdom of children sometimes. It's just this great prayer about God help me to, you know, remember that everyone can have their own political beliefs, and I need to respect them, but help me have strength in my heart to do what is right, never to turn to violence, and always to remember that you love us. And I thought, my goodness, I need that prayer. I need that prayer (laughs) every day. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I just loved the impulse of like, I love that we could really talk about, yeah, it is hard. It's hard when people you love have really difficult, you know, have, have really different political views and you disagree and you vehemently disagree. That's hard. And it's hard when you're driving around and you see those other signs and you think, I wonder what led that person to, to you know, want to support someone I can't imagine supporting. Well, there's a deep call to prayer there. And so I just thought that is an awesome impulse that he had. And it really humbled me to think, okay, get off the snarky like mon you know monologue in my head 
and really think about where's a call to humility, to find common ground with people, to seek the common good and, and, you know, to have strength in my heart about what I know is right, but never to turn to violence, whether it's the violence of wanting to kick someone's sign or the violence in my own heart, right? Like that's the deeper evil is to say the violence is what divides us. And so, yeah, I loved that, that I'm going to hold on to that for a long time. I think that moment. with Yeah, that is great. And, And that reminds me of something that I really try to impress and talk to my kids about. And that is that Loving someone and agreeing with them are two separate things, you know, like we don't attach our love for someone to whether or not we think they're right on subject X, you know, Um, and I think it's really important to help your kids to understand that you can love people you disagree with and that you can disagree with people you love. And, and it's just, it's part of life, (laughs) you know. It's part of life and human relationships and having a free will and um, that we get ourselves into a dangerous place when we start trying to tack one to the other. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And even I think for them to know, not only is it about like it's it's not just about, you know, their relationships with other people. It's also going to be about our relationship with them, right? Like that's never going to be contingent on, mm-hmm. well, really? Right. You joined yeah. that part? Are you kidding? You're going to come in this house? No. I, I mean, there's – I'm sure going to be ways that we'll deeply disagree about particular issues or particular like responses or leaders or whatever it is. Um but that love is going to be consistent despite any disagreement, you know, because like you said at the beginning, politics is ever changing. The parties are changing. The platforms are changing. The particular politicians and leaders change. And 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 we can't like we can't get so caught up in that that we cut people off from like the just the the very basic Christian love that we're called to. You know, I think right. that's so important. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's an important message for us to remember as we talk to our kids, like not even just conveying to them explicitly. But like when I talk to my kids about politics, I am careful in what I say because I am thinking about all of the people that we love that I disagree with. And yes. so, like, I try to explain to them why I disagree with something or someone without making it out that everyone on this other side is bad because like we love a lot of people on that side, (laughs) you know? Yes. And I don't want them to think, oh, but, um, but so-and-so, my friend, my family member, they, they're on that side. Are they bad? You know, like I, I would, I want to separate it out. Um, And I think that's especially important when you think about your spouse. Because, I mean, goodness knows, spouses can have plenty of differing opinions. And I think it's important as a parent to be especially respectful of the views of your spouse and like being careful about how you talk to your kids about politics when you and your spouse have differing opinions, because you don't want your kids to get the impression that you think your spouse is a bad guy, you know? Yes. <laughs> so it's, I have love to that. really be careful in that situation. I remember one of my... Um my brother's friends growing up, his parents would always vote absentee so that they could 
bring they could have their ballots at home and they could talk about it together. They didn't always agree, but they wanted hmm. it to be a conversation between them. And I didn't know anybody else who did that, right? Yeah, no, and I thought yeah. that was a really fascinating idea. And I mean, sometimes they quote canceled each other out, right? Like when they mm-hmm. they they didn't land on the same one, but I loved the idea that like they felt that the political process was so important that it deserved to have that place even in their marriage, like that it it deserved to be like a part of their conversation in their home. And I loved that. And so I think, you know, I, I try to remember that, like when my husband and I are talking about politics, I actually think it's equally important on the things that we do agree upon. I don't want our kids to get the impression that we're like, oh, well, the two of us agree on this. So obviously we're completely right and could never be it's wrong. Settled. It's <laughs> like, settled. Yeah. <laughs> where, where's the humility on that? I mean, but to say <laughs> these are the, I, I try to differentiate too with the kids, like this is what we believe. And so we would try to vote for a particular candidate who would do this without necessarily saying like, we're going to vote for, you know, their particular names or like these particular issues, but to say these are some of the beliefs that are like informing our voting. I think Mm -hmm. that too kind of brings all of those pieces into the process of it to say, this is something we're each engaged in, like as individuals with our individual votes and, Mm -hmm. and we talk about it, but yeah, absolutely. It's not like we just sit there and have to like, okay, wait, who are you voting for? Like we got to get this all lined up or it's not going (laughs) to, No, to be able to say, though, that we both think it's really important and to model that for them, like that feels like the ultimate importance on that note, you know? Right, right, right. All right. Well, to wrap up our conversation, one last question, and that is um, what in your engagement with your kids on politics and current events has given you hope for the future? Oh. What a good question. I always want to think about hope right now. It seems in <laughs> it seems in oh, short supply. Right it does. I think I think I see not only among my kids, but like among my niece and nephew who are, you know, in high school and college and their peers, I see that clear vision of youth and their desire for justice and their like their willingness to step up and be leaders on the issues that they're passionate about. I feel this renewal among these younger generations and 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 I think I wonder sometimes if it's like if social media plays into it like they feel this real sense of like they can be engaged in in all of these questions and issues, they have these little platforms that they can speak from, but like they have a real resolve, you know, to, in that cliche, like to make the world a better place. And they, and they feel like they can have some impact in it. And I love that. Like, I think that is, I mean, that's perennially a gift that I think the young bring, but you know, I've done a lot of theological work on calling and on calling in different stages of life. And and I think children and youth, like they bring that gift to our church and they bring that gift to our communities of the clear vision to say, like, these are the dreams that we have of of what a more just society could look like. And and here are ways that we're kind of 
renewing the fight for what is right, you know? And so I think there is this sense of, I, I do really think the internet has a lot to do with it. Like, hey, you got a great idea. Like, you could make a startup in your basement and, and it mm-hmm. could have a real impact in the world where, you know, when we were growing up, it was just much more like you kind of like would go the traditional routes of whatever your profession might be. But there's a sense of possibility. And I think there's just this renewed commitment of this is their world too. And, and they are determined to be active and engaged in it. And I love that. That just gives me so much hope. There's not, I don't see a cynicism among them. I see this like, well, it's almost our turn to be in charge and like, we're ready. We're, we're going to do this soon. This is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I generally lately have just been like looking toward the future and thinking it's so bleak, you know, like I sort of hang my head and I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about it. But um, recently I was thinking about sort of the the longer arc of history. And, um, you know, if you think about previous, like, really difficult periods in our history, there was often, like, a response to that difficulty and, like, a renewal and um, an upswing, you know. I mean, if you, if you think of, like, the greatest generation coming out of World War II and you think about, like, the Marshall Plan and, like, the United Nations and all these new and innovative things that came out of really difficult, tragic situations, you know? Um, So I looked to that kind of a response and that's what's bringing me hope right now. Like um, right now I feel like we're like down in the mud in the trenches, Um, but we're not going to stay here forever. Like there's, there's going to be a response to this. And I am hopeful that a younger, more engaged and excited like generation will try to pursue like good governance and like uh integrity and you know things that have really fallen by the wayside i mean i don't think they'll be by the wayside forever you know and i mean you and i are are around the same age i don't you know when we were in our teens and 20s like it was it was not cool to be thinking about politics it was like it, it was like you know we might have been some of the nerdy ones who were paying attention and engaged, but most people were not. It just was not a thing for our generation. And now it really is. Like young yeah. people are paying a lot more attention. And I think that could be sort of like a a signal that we could see some like generational renewal. And um, And I'm excited for whatever part my kids can play in that, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think (laughs) my mom has this great saying that like a baby is God's way of saying the world should go on. (laughs) I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true. Like there, there is this, we, we need that renewal of the young. And I think that whatever we can do to instill within our kids a sense that their voice matters, their vote matters, their participation in the political process matters. Like this is what it means to be a citizen, you know, mm-hmm. to be involved in your community for the common good. That just feels, that feels so important. And, and I, I just, I cling to that because I too have, have tendencies towards despair, especially right now. It does feel really grim out there, but I just think, you know, that. That's also I, I always think of it as like it's the arrogance of right now. Like to think that this is the worst it's been. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Like, like human history is really hard and yeah. rife <laughs> conflict and even plague yeah. and like 
and and horrible politics and terrible leader. You know, all of this yeah. has been things yeah. that humans have known before, and yeah. and yet, like how how do we rise up? I'm always thinking like that's what Christianity teaches us is like what looks like the end is never the end, and you know resurrection comes after death. So when things mm-hmm. look like they're falling apart and they're dying, they're like, God's still at work in it. It's, there's something that's, that's going to rise up out of this. So I think I'm always going to stake my hope on that story too. I think it always, <laughs> it's the ultimate one, you know, that's what's, that's what proves to be true. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a a great note to end our conversation on. Laura, I'm so glad that you came onto the podcast. This was such a treat to get to talk to you and to to chew through these things. Oh, Julie, this the pleasure was all mine. You put a lot of good thoughts in my head. So thank you. This was great. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate your time and I would love to talk to you another time. That sounds great. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Laura Kelly Fanucci. To find links to Laura's website, social media accounts, and her book, Everyday Sacrament, The Messy Grace of Parenting, please see the show notes. Next week's episode, which is in the immediate run-up to Election Day, will look a little different than usual, because I'll be answering the questions. My friend Rita Bittner will be joining me for a pre-Election Day roundup. Rita Bittner is a wife, working mother, and author of the Catholic Review's Open Window blog. She and her husband adopted their two sons from China, and Rita often writes about topics concerning adoption, family, and faith. In her full-time job, Rita is Director of University Communications for Loyola University, Maryland. In the episode, Rita will ask questions that voters may have about politics, the election, how votes are counted, and more and I'll be booking up so I can answer them. If you'd like to submit a question for Rita to ask, please email me at julie.walsh.thesewalls at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Politics. I hope you'll subscribe to it, and that if you like it, you'll leave a rating or review so others can find it. I'd appreciate any shares, too. Your help is the best way to let others know about the podcast. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. You can learn more about me by checking out my blog at thesewallsblog.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Julie V. Walsh and Facebook at More Than Politics Podcast. This podcast's theme music is by purple-planet.com.